Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Friday edition of The Sheila Zlonsky Show. It is March 15th, and I have a real big blessing for you today. It is my good friend, Minister Carla Butod, is on the program today from Texas, and it is going to be a good one. We are calling this topic, Stop saying that. And I think you're going to be very blessed by today's show. We're calling this Stop Saying That because Carla, a lot of people say some things that are really cringeworthy. And we really need to stop saying that, don't we? That's right. That's kind of what happened. I've gone to many meetings and heard many sermons and come across a lot of sayings that just absolutely, I would have to hold on to the bottom of the chair, not to jump up and scream, <laughs> stop saying that, you know, stop saying that. There was a an incident with, I was teaching at this little church down the road from our house and lots of people started coming just to be taught. And there was this guy who had a real good friend who was a discipled vet from the Vietnam War, and he had been injured, so he walked with a cane. You know, it had held him back from being able to do his life's work and all that stuff. But anyway, he started coming with this guy, and I was out of town at Lake Hamilton one weekend, and when I came back, the guy was there, but his friend was not with him. I was so used to seeing them together all the time because they would come to church together, and I walked up to the guy, and I said, so where's your friend today? And the look that came on his face, I just knew that I had walked into something I wish I had not walked into. But this, he told me that his friend had was working out in the shop behind his house, and he had a generator up on a shelf. So he reached up to pull this generator down, and he lost his balance and fell backwards on the floor, and the generator fell on his chest, crushing his, his rib cage, and it killed him. And I just felt so bad for this guy because they were very good friends. And anyway, you know, I told him how sorry I was. Well, at this time, we had a preacher that was coming to the church. And the guy is preaching, and he stops right in the middle of a sentence and points to the, to the fella who lost his friend. And he said, I want you to know that nothing happens that doesn't pass the throne of God first. And then he went on with his sermon, and I was so furious. I mean, what is that saying to this guy? It's like saying, okay, God was on the throne, and here came this scenario of this guy dying this death that he died, an, a tragic death, and God saw it, and he okayed it. That's basically what he was saying. Well, here's the result of that. The guy never came back to church again. I mean, uh, it, it just bothered me so badly. And then there are other other things. We talk about how God is in control of everything. You know, people will say, well, God allowed that to happen. He is in control of everything. And I was having a, a conversation with my mom one day and um, about these kind of things. And she had had a discussion with a friend. And she said, she said, well, so-and-so said that, you know, God is, is in control of everything. And I said, Mom. And she said, well, don't you believe that God is in control of everything? And I said, Mom, do you think that God was in charge, that because he's in charge of everything, that he was in charge of those planes flying into the Twin Towers? You think that he was the author of that? Because if you do, I am offended 
for my God, and I feel a need to defend him in that because that is not the God I know. He's not a killer. He's not a murderer. And, you know, in the Old Testament, I always say to try to help someone cross over into this this line of thinking that in the Old Testament, God was the lawmaker. He was the law enforcer. He was the judge, the jury, and the executioner. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he would confront people. Let's just say the story about Moses, uh, you know, when they were at the bottom of the mountain, you know, and Moses went up and brought the, the tablets down and they were building this golden calf to worship. And in First Kings 18, 20 and 21, so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together. Okay, this is the story when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and they set up the two altars. Remember the the people that had left worshiping the true God, they were over there with their altar and then Elijah and the people set up their altar and they were going to see which altar God would show up at. Well, we know that fire came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice on the altar that Elijah and them had erected. Even the ditch that they dug around it and filled it with water, it burned up all the water. But before that happened, in verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, Follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. These situations cause people to be halted between these two opinions of what they really believe about God. He separated the people with Moses and said, everybody that is agreeing with Moses, get over here. And everybody that is wanting to worship Baal, get over here. And then God opened up the land and swallowed the people up. Now, that was the God of the Old Testament. He doesn't do things that way anymore in the New Testament because he has a new covenant with his people. And, you know, people always want to say to me, nothing changed. Hey, nothing changed. But in Matthew 5, when you start reading Matthew chapter 5, you will see many times where Jesus said, you have heard it said of them of old, then he would say what it is. And then he would say, but I say unto you, and then it's a totally different uh, take on the on the subject. So yes, some things did change. His covenant with his people changed through Jesus Christ. So we have these other scriptures like, see, there's some other ones in Matthew, if you even want to add those to it, because it talks about adultery, you know, but he who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart has committed it. See, it changed. It's very different in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. Okay, the scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11, we know this scripture well. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. See, he has he's he has good things planned for us. And so over my 
journey with the Lord, there have been many times I'm like, okay, Lord, now, did you let this happen? Is this your will? Is this, you know, there was uh, this confusion around all of these things that happened. And until God made it perfectly clear to me, he helped me in that place of confusion with some scriptures. Okay. And so in Romans chapter four, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, what if you're wrong about that? And and I always say, you know, I always say to the Lord, if I'm wrong about that, show me. Let me know, because if I am teaching, and and that's why I say this is not a teaching, this is a discussion, but I did want to share over the years as I have shared these findings with people, they always say to me, why aren't you teaching this? I mean, it makes it it's so comforting to know these things. Well, because it's very controversial. I mean, some people will fight you tooth and nail that God you know, causes evil things to happen. So these are the things how God showed me and brought me to a place where he has settled me in these things. And he has caused me to be fully persuaded. And that was the scripture I was going to read is um, Romans 4 verses 21 and 22. It says, this is talking about Abraham. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And this is where God has brought me to this place that I am fully persuaded that God is a good God. He's good. He wants good things for us. He's for us, not against us. It says in James 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. That's that's how strong we are to be in our faith, that nothing is wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. And I don't want to be that double-minded person. I don't want to be that one that is tossed to and fro. There's a scripture, I don't have it in my notes, that talks about with every wind and doctrine, you know, we're not settled and we're not grounded. So it's easy to be swayed one way or another. Another another way that God showed me was in John 10.10. 10. Um, I'll tell you, there was something that happened in our hometown that just really left an imprint upon me because it was a young married couple. I had gone to high school with them and um, they got married. They had children. They had two children, one a toddler about two years old and one a newborn baby. And one day the girl was going to go to the grocery store. She went out and got in her car, had put the babies in their car seats and she forgot something in the house. The car was running. So she put it in park. She opened the door. She ran into the house and came back and got into the car and backed up. And what she did not know was that the two-year-old toddler who had uh, learned how to get themselves out of the car seat had gotten out of the car seat, climbed through the front seat, got out of the car and was behind the car. The mother didn't know this. She gets in the car, backs up, runs over her baby and kills it. And, you know, they're how people will say things, you know, as you discuss them, you know, well, I wonder why God didn't do something. Or you get, oh, God needed another angel. 
Oh, or a little rosebud or all these ridiculous things that people say. You know, it, it really is there again. Stop saying that. <laughs> you know, it really gets on my nerves. But okay, so this is how God helped me with it. Okay, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not. That means the only reason he comes, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus Christ said this. He is telling us about Satan, the thief. But then he goes on to say, I am come that they might have life and that they might have more abundantly. So I have always loved detective movies because I I told my husband, if I was young enough to go back to school and I wasn't doing what I'm doing, you know, I had this call of God on my life. So that's never been a desire to do to go to school, but I would go to be an investigator, a crime investigator, okay? So what what do we see when there's been a murder or a robbery or something like that? Here come the detectives with their their little brush, the little circular brush and the the dusting stuff. And what are they doing? They're looking for fingerprints. Why? Because when you find the fingerprints, you're going to see who's responsible for the crime. So in a way, even as I read people's emails that they send me, uh, problems that they're having, I am a spiritual investigator. It's like in the spirit realm, I take my little circular brush and I am looking for the fingerprints of the culprit. So how God showed me is, okay, let's take this incident of this young mother getting, you know, backing up and running over and killing her baby. Now let's look at this in two with just John 10, 10, this scripture, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill and destroy. Okay, Jesus comes to bring life and more abundantly. So we look at this situation with this baby. Okay, does this have to do with steal, kill, and destroy? Or does this have to do with life and more abundantly? No, it has to do with steal, kill, and destroy. The baby was killed. God is not the author of that baby being killed. But here's the other problem that I find, and this is what I told my mother, uh, you know, about the planes going into the Twin Towers. You know, if you don't factor in the enemy, which few people do, then it's all God. Everything that happens, God is responsible for. And that is just totally not the truth. We have to factor in the enemy here because this is the opposite of good is evil. And this is what we see so much in the world. You know, we say, well, why did God let that happen? That's another thing. Every time I hear somebody say, well, God allowed that to happen, I could, I, because God gives me pictures. I see pictures when things happen. And I, I honestly, I see God leaning over the throne because he's looking, he's looking down on this world and he's leaning over his throne where his head is out beyond his knees and he's saying I did not allow that to happen you did you know because we want to blame God for everything that goes wrong but people confront me about spiritual warfare listen God's got my back I hear people say this, which is presumption. <laughs> you know, uh, David said in Psalms, let not thy servant commit presumptuous sin. And and I, I stopped when I read that one day and I thought, presumptuous sin? What in the world is that? Well, a presumptuous sin is 
And I've told this story before, probably even on Sheila's show, that my brother and his wife were going on a a trip. They had their luggage in the back seat of my brother's brand new truck that was given to him when he retired from his job, one of those big fancy trucks. And um, they had stopped at a restaurant to eat. And what they didn't know was that while they were in the restaurant eating, somebody broke into the truck and took their luggage, which had, I mean, she's a state form insurance agent. So she had her computer with all of her information in it. They were going to a state form convention somewhere fine, you know, an island or somewhere. They had all their clothes, evening clothes, jewelry, cameras, money, you know, all the like $5,000 worth of stuff was stolen out of their truck. Well, they didn't even know it till they got to the um, airport when they went to get the luggage out of the back seat and it wasn't there. And then they realized they had been robbed, you know, knowing my brother because, you know, I'm trying to, to lead him into all of this spiritual warfare. But, you know, he sees himself as a, a good Christian man. So God is looking out after him, right? Well, anyway, I said to my brother, I want to know the first thing that came to your mind when you realized y'all had been robbed. He throws his hands out and he said, God, I'm your son. Why weren't you watching after my stuff? And and I said, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. But how long would it take when you're driving up? And I do this. I mean, even in my old car, I did this. I have a new car now. But I say this when I go to a parking lot or something. Lord, I stand angels around my car while I'm out of it that no evil penetrate. How long did that take? Not very long at all. (laughs) And when you, you know, we've been given the angels. I know that's a controversial thing too, but I'm settled. I am fully persuaded that he has given us angels to help us. And if you don't want to use yours and yours are unemployed, we'll use yours too, won't we, Carla? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I'll put them to work. But, you know, I stand the angels around my car shoulder to shoulder that no evil penetrate, you know, so no car doors ding it, nobody comes and keys it, all of that kind of thing. But I can't convince him that this is something that needs to be done. Another another time, he has helped a couple of churches get established, and they were building this new church in a town near my mom, and uh, they had put up their sign, coming soon. Well, what do you think happened? As soon as they put that sign in the ground, there were a lot of tragic things that started happening, like several people in their church was, were diagnosed with cancer suddenly. Uh, one couple, they were on their way to a wedding, and their son was going to meet them there in his vehicle, had a wreck and was killed. I mean, j- there were just all kinds of awful things happening in this church. And so I was out to eat with them and a couple of couples from their church. And my brother said, Carla, you really need to be praying for our church. And I said, well, what's wrong with your church? And he started telling me all of this stuff. And I said, Jerry, you need to start doing some spiritual warfare. I mean, listen, it's time. You're, you're in a position where you need to start doing some spiritual warfare. But here again, he said, why? I said, because what you don't know is in the spirit realm, you disturbed the kingdom of darkness when that church started to be built. So naturally, the enemy is going to start putting assignments using agents of his I said, there may be a woman sitting in the middle of y'all's church just listening to all of y'all's plans and everything, and you don't even have a clue that she's doing witchcraft on these people in your church. And he goes, Carla, why would God send a witch? 
into our church. I said, God doesn't send a witch. I said, listen, in Job chapter 1, it says that when the sons of God came to present themselves to God, Satan was found among them. And God said, where'd you come from? And Satan says, okay, listen, okay. Where'd you come from? Well, my goodness, God is asking him that? Doesn't God know everything? (laughs) Why would he ask Satan where he came from? I mean, that'll mess with somebody's theology. Okay, so in chapter 2, again, that's how it says it in chapter 2. Again, and you can look this up and see if this is not exactly what it says. Again, when the sons of God presented themselves to God, Satan was found among them. And God says again, where did you come from? him again. Oh, going up and down and walking to and fro in the earth. But see, here's the deal. Satan wants to be wherever there is a work of God going on. That's where he wants to be because he's there to destroy the works of God. And it says in the word, we'll have to look this scripture up, Sheila, uh, because it's not in my notes, but it says in the word that for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he was manifested, to destroy the works of the devil. That's in 1 John 3, 8. So if if this is the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil and we are his followers, shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Well, and I think that's the other thing about the kingdom authority is because let's tie into another one that's very common, Carla. People say this all the time, and it's so frustrating. It's like, well, we don't have to do anything because everything is under God. They're missing the kingdom purpose that the kingdom of God launches the new man into his rightful place of authority. He comes to restore what Adam lost, the dominion, the kingdom, and the authority of God. He issued it back to man. What does he say in Matthew 28, 18? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's right. That's kind of what happened when hell came to my house, when when my son went into rebellion and it caused all kinds of problems in our home and in the community. And, you know, and God, God told me that, you know, he had tried, the enemy had tried so many times to destroy me. He's tried to kill me so many times. He's tried to destroy our marriage. He tried to destroy our finances. He tried. I mean, he's tried many ways. And God said he tried to get to you, but he couldn't. So now he's moved into your children. And the reason that he's doing this is to discredit the man and woman of God. That's, you know, I used to think all the time that the reason, you know, there is a saying, PKs, Oh, he's a PK. What is that? A preacher's kid. You know, uh, it's well known that lots of preacher's kids are wild. Why is that? I used to think it was because the man of God was so busy taking care of his church family that he wasn't properly taking care of his home and his own family. But you know what? I had to repent of even thinking that because now God is showing me that he had given me a work to do. And when you start doing that work, All hell is going to break loose. And I mean from the kingdom of darkness. He is going to come against you. That's another misconception. But let me finish that train of thought. All hell broke loose. And I am just shattered as a 
as a Christian mother who raised her children in the way they should go. And the word says that when they're old, they will not depart from it. And hey, wait a minute, he's departed. What happened? I believed that word and I and I, I did what the word said, but it doesn't seem to be true. You know, that's where it took me to a very dark place until God began to show me what was really going on. And then I had to learn how to fight the enemy. Nobody ever taught me anything about the enemy. You know, back to Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I have a plan for your life. Well, guess what? So does Satan. I mean, that's not written anywhere in the Bible, except, you know, not in those particular words, but that's what he is out to do. It tells us, you know, that that um, our enemy, we have an adversary, the devil, who roams about like ro- like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. That's exactly what he wants to do, is to take you out. And so sometimes people will say, um, you know, witchcraft is very much involved. And people will say, but I don't know any witches. And who would want to do witchcraft against me? And I'm thinking, you know, it, it has nothing to do with you. You're wearing the uniform. When you became a Christian, you are now robed in righteousness. He gave us a robe. And so the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, can see that you are clothed in righteousness with Jesus Christ in you, and you become the enemy. It's just like when you join the United States Army. They may send you into battle. They may send you to the front lines. The enemy doesn't know who you are personally, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. You're wearing the uniform of the United States, and you are their enemy, and they're going to shoot to kill. And it's the same way in the spirit realm, but we, as the church, as a whole, we're not taught these things. And we're told not to be ignorant of his devices. And if we are, then he gets a foothold. And let me tell you, I get the emails. He's got a foothold all over the place. But it's it's time for the church. You know, I say this to people. Hey, if God was going to fight all of our battles, then why did he give us power over all the power of the enemy? What would we need that for if he's going to fight all of our battles? And all we have to do is just sit back. No, no. We it, There is a, a fight to be fought in this war. He's already gotten the victory for us, but we have to take the land. It's just like in the Old Testament when they were given the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, but they didn't go in and get it. So it's, it's the same way now. You know, Moses was the deliverer. He delivered them out of Egypt, brought them to the promised land, and then they sent the spies over and they got afraid. Even though God had said, I have given you the land, but they didn't go in and possess it. Only Caleb and Joshua and those that were under the age of 20 were allowed to go into the promised land. So now Jesus, God sent Jesus to deliver us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've come to the cross of Calvary, we've received salvation, and then we've pitched our tents and started having church and getting busy. But we've never fully entered into everything that he intended us to enter into. And warfare was one of those things. I mean, we're told clearly in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Well, if we wrestle not with flesh and blood and our weapons are not carnal, 
then we've got some work to do in the spirit realm. And we need to learn how to fight that battle in the spirit realm. So it's important to know, though, I mean, how long will you hop between two opinions? We, we have to know who our God is. And he's a good God. It says that he says to us that he is the good shepherd. I, in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And he says also, um, uh, where does it say about every good and perfect gift? It's James 1, 16 and 17. Let me read that. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So in my you know, coming to this place of being settled and fully persuaded. If every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, then where does every bad and imperfect gift come from? Not God. So these these are very important foundational beliefs that I feel are necessary to come to that place of being settled and having peace and having that assurance and knowing who your God is. It's not, we can't look over at something that is not God. And you know what? One time I looked up the word blasphemy because, you know, it says that every sin is forgiven except for blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And I was wanting to make sure I didn't do that. So I'm looking up the word blaspheming. And at the time, I didn't even understand the definition. It says attributing the works of the devil to God. Attributing the works of the devil to God, which to me is just like saying that God's in control of everything. He allowed those planes to fly into the Twin Towers. That's blasphemy to me, blasphemy, because that's not the God that I serve. So in this process of becoming an investigator and judging things that happen by the scripture, John 10, 10, does it fall under steal, kill, and destroy, or does it fall under life and more abundantly? And, you know, to me, I, I know that I am, I always have said I'm a black and white person. And I've had people say, you're a black and white person. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? There's no gray. I said, that's right. I am a black and white person. It's either truth or it's not. It's either good or or it's evil. I don't have a problem calling it what it is. Does that make sense? Okay, so back whenever um, my son went to prison for a year, and I have these well-meaning relatives, you know, and um, they say, well, you know, it may be that God allowed Kyle to go to prison because down the line, blah, 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 blah. You know, I've gotten to where I just can't even hardly listen to uh, conversations like this because to me, it's a waste of our good air, <laughs> our good hot breath to talk about things and speculate. No, it was never God's will for Kyle to go to prison. Never. But God doesn't waste anything because in Romans eight twenty eight it says that 
all things work together for the good. It doesn't mean that he brought the bad. It just means that he is able to work all things together in that bad situation for those that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. You know, my mom sometimes uh, something bad will happen and she'll go, well, all things work together for the good. And I said, but mama, not, not to everybody. You know, some of these people are like drug addicts or whatever. Well, all things work together for the good. But to those that are called according to his purpose, that love the Lord, people who don't love the Lord, it doesn't always end well. It doesn't work together for their good. But God is, he's a good God so that when things like this come to those, you know, there was a book, not I, I never read it. It, but it was when bad things happen to good people. Oh, yeah. Um, this is how I look at that. When bad things happen to good people, if they love the Lord, then those bad things, there is an opportunity for God to work in that to the good of everybody that's involved. It's not that he let it happen or made it happen, but because it happened, which is because we live in a fallen world, it says that we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Does that mean we never get sick? Well, that would be nice, but no, because we live in a fallen world, sickness is, and sometimes sickness will come against our bodies, and then it's up to us to apply that word of God to the sickness in order to get rid of the sickness. I don't know. It's just been made very simple to me. And and I see people struggle with some of these things. And I just want, I want God to get the glory that he deserves in the good God that he is. He's not in the business of destroying people's lives. In other words, when things happen and people say, well, God could have done something, but he did. But what are you doing? See, he gave us this power. What are we doing? That's what he said to me when hell came to my house and I was crying out to him all the time. Lord, my children, my children, my children. And he said, why are you coming to me with this? And I'm like, what? Well, who else is there? And he said, he asked me that question. Did I say to you that if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed that you would ask me to move your mountain? And I had to give that some thought. No, that's not what you said. You said that if I have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, the word says, ye shall say to the mountain. I am the one who has to say to the mountain. And as Christians, because we are not made aware of what we are to be doing. We expect God to do everything. And when nothing happens, we want to blame God for it. So it's time for us to pick up those things that he has given us, the power, the dominion, the authority, and begin to have some life changes because he's given it to us. There again, if we didn't need this power, why did he give it to us? So it's time for us to begin to exercise that power in these life situations that come up. Okay, so here's one. God loves everyone. We're all God's children. We're all his children. No, we're not. No, we're not. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your, I mean, he does. He, God has a love for the entire world. You know, that's why Jesus gave his life for the sins of the whole world, it says. But if they don't appropriate 
what he did on the cross, they're not in the family. Everyone on this earth are not God's children. Well, and it says the wages of sin is death. So sadly, if you don't have a way to atone for your sin, aka Jesus Christ being your savior, then your wages are death. That's right. Okay, here's another one. There's many ways to get to God. No, there's not. (laughs) I've heard that one too. You know, that we're all going to the same place. We just have different ways of getting there. No, I'm sorry. There's one way. If you have to know, if you know the Word of God, then you know these answers. Well, no, most don't because they don't even read their Bibles. I was just fixing to say, you know, but why not? The answers are in the Word. I have never found one thing that the answer was not found in His Word. His Word covers everything. Everything. You just have to get in there and find it. It's like gold digging. You know, you you mine for gold. Sometimes it it takes a little mining in the Word of God to find that that answer, but it's there. It's a, a, to me, it is a place of protection because, you know, people will invite me to certain things. And I can remember when, when this, um, this idea of soaking came into the church. And, you know, I was invited by a lady that I knew, very, you know, awesome lady of God. But, you know, she's going to start having these soakings sessions. And I was like, what? I prayed about it. And I just told her, I said, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to, to participate in that. And it's like, well, why not? And I said, because I've never seen anything like that in the Word. And I, I try to base, I follow Jesus. And I, I never saw anywhere that, you know, he invited people to come and lay around and empty their heads. And that really is what the devil wants to do is for you to clear your mind so that he can bombard and move in and take over. I mean, a lot of people are suffering a lot of things because they are, they're hungry but, you know, I, I have come to look at the Bible like, you know, the scripture where Jesus said it's a really hard scripture. It says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood. Now, you know, that's that can be taken in crazy ways, too. But I have begun to learn. You know, he says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus is the word made flesh. Another uh, thing God pointed out to me one time about the Word, um, I think it's in Hebrews. I think it's in Hebrews chapter 1. Let me look that up really quickly. Because it says, you know, I always thought like, oh, it's the power of God's Word, the power of God's Word. But in Hebrews chapter 1, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the Word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So see, he is upholding all things, not by the power of his word, but by the word of his power. So when I, when I think about the Bible, the word is the word of his power. Do you see the difference that makes? The word of his power. His word is of his power. It's not the power of his word, but the word. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. Mm. So, you know, like when he put the earth in order, he spoke, he said, you know, so it's 
the word of his power so that that's how precious his word is. It is it is the word of his power. And so when we are in his word, we are partaking of his power. And when we're eating the word, when we're hungry, we read the word and that is like ingesting the word. And that in a sort of a way is like Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh. So when we're partaking of the word, we're actually partaking of the body of Christ. That's how I see it. We are partaking. He is the bread of life. So we have to feed on this. And as we feed on his word, it is the word of his power. So you're not only getting the word, but the power Mm, that the word is of God is. I don't know if I'm explaining that properly, but that's what it means to me. And I look to the word, you know, to judge things by. And if I don't see it in the word, then I'm not too interested in it. Like one time um, I was talking about Mike's dad and his illness and this really sweet lady said, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to get some some blessed salt and sprinkle them around. And I mean, as she started talking about that, I mean, I was just shut down. I said, I can pretty confidently tell you I will not be doing that. (laughs) Hey, you better put a prayer shawl on before we get any further here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That that one got me in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It got me in trouble, too. So don't feel bad. But one of the things that we have to quit saying, and this is one of my pet peeves, is, oh, I'm so lucky. You're so lucky. That is one thing Christians have got to stop saying. There's a lot of those type of things. We really got to start paying attention to our words. Our words are very powerful and we can speak word curses over ourselves. So we got to pay attention to that, don't we? Yeah, it's all bad. We are just really a, a collection of bad habits. I've learned. It took me a long time to start breaking those things. And let me tell you about the word lucky. It, it's a derivative of the name Lucifer. Bingo. You know, before I knew all of this stuff, I had this dog that it was a stray and he was terrible looking. He was hairless. He stunk like he was already <laughs> dead. And we had just lost our family pet. And the kids were like, oh, oh, a dog, a dog. You know, I said, we're not having this dog, you know. And so we ended up keeping the dog and we I named him Lucky because he was lucky he got to stay. And then the dog later, I mean, he was so horrible. I told people this, this is the dog from hell. I mean, he was just, you know, and then later I thought, how could he not be the dog from hell? I named him Lucky. That's like calling him the devil. (laughs) But no, really, when we say, oh, you're so lucky, that is giving credit to the power of Satan that whatever you're saying you're lucky about, you know, you're you're crediting Satan with it by, oh, we're so lucky, or oh, you're so lucky. No, I have switched that out with fortunate or blessed. But you know what? Look at, I, I look at all the people that are godless and they have hijacked the word blessed because I guess they like the way it sounds. So 
you know, now like people in Hollywood, oh, we just feel so blessed to be able to, you know, work in this project and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're no more. I mean, blessings are from God. Yeah, but the enemy has a counterfeit blessing too. Yeah, it's a satanic blessing. It's like a woman told me one time I was talking to her or, you know, I was being an investigator. So have you ever had an adulterous affair? She said, well, yes. I did. She said, but can I tell you something, just being perfectly honest? I said, yeah. She said, that was the best sex I ever had in my life. And I said, you want to know why? And she said, yes. But I, inside me, I was saying yes, too, because I had no thought to say that to her. And, and sometimes God speaks things through me that I don't even know, didn't have a thought to say it. So when I heard that question, you want to know why it was the best sex you ever had? Because Satan anointed it to be better than what was legal. Sex with your husband is legal, but because you were having an adulterous affair, Satan was putting an anointing on that sex act to make it greater than even the legal sex. And that's what he will do. It's deception. These are things that were really helpful to me in my journey with my walk with the Lord. In giving, um, attributing things that were absolutely from hell and saying that it was God. I mean, we talked about that, but that was a big one for me. I mean, I just, I just sometimes just, you know, want to hit people who say things like that. Well, it must have been God's perfect will that you didn't get this or you didn't have that. No, sometimes it's because the enemy robbed you of that. They don't factor in the enemy. This is the problem. That's right. Like something being a closed door, like God closed that door. Yeah, or it must be God's will or he wouldn't have allowed it. Yeah, or he wouldn't have let it happen. Not everything is ordained from God. I think it's just really important on this show, Carla, for people to understand that they need to also factor in the enemy and not just this broad stroke that, oh, just everything that happens is God ordained. Well, are you ready to get into some prayer, Carla? Okay, I just wanted to say this first because I know there are maybe some things that you heard today that that kind of pricked you when you heard it. But I just ask you to put it on the shelf and allow God to talk to you about it. It may be different than what you've always believed, but, but allow God to talk to you about these things, okay? So, Father, right now, we just come before you. We thank you for this time of discussion, just sharing our hearts with each other. But right now, we want to exercise the authority that you have given us to bind and loose. And right now, I just bind every Antichrist spirit over the people that would cause problems in their beliefs. I come against the power of doubt and unbelief, having pride that won't allow you to change what you believe. I come against all generational religious spirits that have come down the family line and traditions that you never would change anything because that's what we've always believed. I come against lying spirits in the name of Jesus, all spirits of blasphemy, all the times that we have said that God was the author of, and it clearly was not God. I come against blaming God for everything and not factoring in the work of the enemy. I come against all instability, all mind-binding spirits and mind-binding spirits. You go in the name of Jesus. We bind all the tormenting spirits that won't allow you to be settled. I come against spirits of fear, of, of changing the way you believe about something. I come against doctrines of 
devils that have convinced us to believe things that are not sound doctrine. I come against spiritual schizophrenia, that being in that undecided place, that place of double-mindedness and confusion and halting between two opinions. I come against all error that we've been taught in the past in Jesus' name. And Father, instead, we loose the spirit of truth upon your people. You are the truth. We loose power and love and a sound mind upon your people. I speak peace to every person who was involved in listening to this broadcast. I I just speak stability into their life, and I loose faith, the faith of God upon them. I loose assurance that belongs to them in God. I loose humility in the name of Jesus, that we that we maintain a teachable spirit, Father, that we can become fully persuaded that you are a good God. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth and to further our knowledge of you and our relationship with you and our depth of faith and our spiritual life. We can have that joy that you want us to have as we serve you and we come into agreement with your purposes and your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good job. Listen, this was a really powerful show today. I hope everyone was really blessed by this. And Carla, do for the new listeners, give out your information on how folks can get in touch with you. Okay. It's Carla Butod, C-A-R-L-A-B-U-T-A-U-D.com. My email address is the same thing, CarlaButod at gmail.com. It was great to have you on the program, Carla, and I really appreciate your time. And hopefully the takeaway from this show is stop saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun, Sheila. Thank you for having me. Folks, that was Carla Buton, and her information is there in the description below. Do reach out to her and let her know you heard on the program. We have fantastic shows coming up this next week. Joseph Jasinski back-to-back. We have the General Ivory Hopkins, my favorite, Augusto Prez. Dean Odell, a pastor friend of mine from Alabama, joins me on a very riveting topic Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm going to get myself into trouble. And then Mark Sellers, my good friend from Colorado, did an incredible show. All this in the next days to come. So make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel and you're following me over there on the podcast. All that information is linked on my website at SheilaZolinski.com or Sheila.media. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless.